Let us turn once more to Psalm number 95. Psalm number 95. This will be our text. We'll be looking at all of this psalm here this evening, which begins with, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And we're going to look at this psalm, Psalm number 95, under the following heading. Come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. And as we approach closer to the Lord's table, which we, by grace, through faith alone, will partake of by God's will tomorrow morning. As we approach closer to the Lord's table, We've examined already repentance. Something as we examine our hearts and come closer to the Lord, we must also think about what we are turning away from to turn to Christ and to grow in our knowledge of Christ. We must leave something behind. There is the need of repentance and growth and faith. And this is the evidence of conversion. None of us are perfect. None of us have reached the point of sinless perfection. But if we have been changed by God, it is not just a one-time event. It is an ongoing work that God does in our hearts, changing us and conforming us more and more. And the more we're changed, the more we love Christ, the more we mourn over our sin, that is an evidence that God has indeed done a work in you. It is often the person who is not worried about their sin is the most at danger of the warnings we have in Scripture. We are not perfect as we come to the Lord's table, but we do need to be changed. We all fall short of that holy standard. And the evidence that God has done a work is that we want more. We want more of Christ. And when we do draw back from him at times, it is not pleasant. It is bitter. As we examine our many blemishes, and we don't need to go far, do we? All of us can see our own blemishes in thought in word and deed. You may be here this evening and you may think, I don't know if I should come to the Lord's table. I've done something terrible. We have all done something terrible, friend. We have sinned against Almighty God. The question is, are you trusting in Jesus Christ? The danger is we may be so discouraged, we may think we have to reach a certain point of holiness before we come to the Lord's table. Friend, the Lord's table is for the weakest among us and for the strongest among us. It is for every single believer in Jesus Christ. Yes, we wish we had more evidence of our conversion. Yes, we may struggle with, at times, am I truly born again? We may struggle with assurance but are you looking to him and to him alone? You're eager for more. Well, if you're eager for more, 
we come to the Lord's table to meet with him for more. It is for the weak and for the strong. Come to the Lord. Come for food. It is for the weak person. You come for food when you feel your weakest, don't you? You need food and sustenance. And this is what we find at the Lord's table by faith in Jesus Christ. We find our hunger satisfied. We find our thirst quenched. Your heart made glad as you drink of his cup. This evening we're looking at Psalm number 95 as we think about coming to the Lord. Coming to the Lord. A psalm which speaks of coming to him. And it's also a psalm of warning and exhortation. You'll always see this throughout the scriptures. It's often words of encouragement. But it does not want to give false encouragement to those people who should have no encouragement. It invites us to worship him and remind ourselves tomorrow the Lord's table is about worship. It is about God. We partake of the Lord's supper not because we think it's a great idea and we enjoy it. Because God commands it. God commands it. And it is a way that the Lord has instituted and given us, his people, that we can enjoy more sweet communion with him. Inviting us into enjoying closer intimacy with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is both joy and at the same time we will see solemn warning as we come. Both these things are there. Our first point this evening as we think about coming to the Lord. Number one, God is salvation. God is salvation. Verse number one. Oh come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. We come. We come to him. And why? Why do we come to him? There is a rock being described here. The rock of our salvation. A rock is dependable, isn't it? It's solid. It's something that is in this world one of the hardest things to change. Where we currently live in Northern Ireland, there's a a lot of very, very solid rock. It's very firm foundation. Makes very good for building things on top of it. There's a famous tower in an Italian city. You may have heard of it. It's called Pisa, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And why is that tower famous? Is it famous because it's pretty? Not particularly. It's famous because it's leaning a few degrees. If everything was right with it, we probably wouldn't be very interested in that. It's leaning to one side. And every few years, it needs work. Why does it need work? Because they're afraid of it falling over. What's wrong with the tower? 
It's not really the tower itself, it's the foundations upon which it was built. It's unstable ground, which comes and causes great worry for those people who, who every few years have to put scaffolding around it and try to make it stay in place. Men, men's ways in the world are unstable ground as well. The salvation of man will tell you, look within yourself. Look for the latest ideas of men. The sifting sand, the latest fads and ideas. This is unstable ground in our world today. And you'll see it in the news. The latest idea, be your authentic self. Oh, that hasn't worked. Well, we'll try something different. It's unstable Ground. At the moment, it's the trans movement. What will it be tomorrow? I don't know. But man's ways are always unstable. You build on them, but for salvation, it is a sinking sand. All the false religions in the world are sinking sand. Only God is a rock of our salvation. See, when they built that tower, in Pisa many years ago, did they know that the ground was unstable? They had no idea. In fact, there's about two or three buildings next to it that are perfectly stable. We must have this rock of our salvation. Charles Spurgeon said this, God is abiding, immutable, and mighty rock, And in him we find deliverance and safety. This is what it means. The rock of our salvation. Firm and sure. This is why the psalmist can say, let us make a joyful noise. You can't make a joyful noise to sifting sand, to unstable ground, to unstable foundations. To come to him is a joyful thing. You see, coming tomorrow to the Lord's table, what the Lord has done for us, is a joyful, wonderful thing. We get to meet with God. We get to have this wonderful privilege. Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. I think we can lose that sense, can't we? For a couple of years, in the last couple of years, I think we've really lost the sense of the specialness of public worship, meeting with God, the special presence of God. We must meet publicly together as one people before Almighty God. And it is a special thing. It is something that the psalmist, uh, it says a song or song for the sons of Korah, Psalm 87. And in this verse 2 says, The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. The dwellings of Jacob were special, but the gates of Zion even more so. The public worship of God, the presence of God. Of Almighty God. Our God is omnipresent. He can be found everywhere. 
He fills both heaven and earth, but in a special way, he, his presence is in the public worship of God, and his presence is in a very special way at the table of the Lord. The reformers would write a lot about this. They sought to come away from Roman Catholic superstition regarding the Lord's table. But we must not ever come away from the fact that the Lord is truly there. Not bodily, he's still at the right hand of the majesty on high in heaven, but spiritually there present in a special way to bless his people. Verse 2 of Psalm 95. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. We come not just doing our own will, we come in the will of God. Even when we do come, we come in a way appointed by God with psalms, with the ways prescribed by God. To come to God is a special privilege. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It is to come with joy, knowing who he is. And so when we know who he is, we know the protection, the safety, the comfort that we have in his presence. He is salvation. All the other ways are destruction. See, Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Not one among many. The only way to heaven. And so when we come to him and to know more about him as we grow in our, as we grow in our understanding of God as believers in Jesus Christ, we ask that the Lord would give us more reassurance in our hearts that we would have more confidence and joy and peace with him. Now we, we struggle with these things I'm speaking of. We do. We have moments. We have seasons where it is dark valleys. But this is what we're seeking for. Tastes of heaven. This side of eternity. Enjoying and rejoicing in the one who is our rock. Our refuge. God. The storms may come in life. But if our salvation is built upon the rock. That firm foundation, we can have confidence. If our salvation is built upon anything else but the Lord Jesus Christ, it is sure to find ruin. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 24, down to verse 27. Verse 24, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall 
of it. In so many ways, in so many illustrations, the Lord is seeking to show us, here is where refuge is, here is where comfort is, here is where safety is, in his presence. So often we can forget that. We can think salvation is our extra money saved. Salvation is a better job. Salvation is a better career. Salvation is being more popular. Name the thing that we put our trust and our confidence in. Whatever will distract us away from the Lord. But the safest place to be, friend, is the rock of our salvation. And we can meet with him tomorrow as believers in Jesus Christ in a very special way. Yes, he is the same Christ we meet in the word. But there's a sense in which we come even closer to him. I struggle to have the words to describe it. The Lord has set before us in these tokens of his love. Signs and seals of his body and his blood set before us. And what's he telling us? His closeness to his people. Is Christ the rock of your salvation? When those storms come, will that house still be standing? When the storms come, will the tower you run to still be standing? Or will it collapse? If you trust in yourself, we can't be trusted. We cannot be trusted. Peter had his own ideas of Jesus avoiding the cross. He couldn't wrap his mind around it. Jesus said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. If that could be said to an apostle, he's trusting his own ideas. We cannot trust ourselves. Here is the rock of our salvation. And if he is the rock of your salvation, come and find food. Come and find drink. Come and find sustenance come to his table for he delights to show mercy this God who is the rock of your salvation he delights to show mercy he delights to help his people he delights to receive his children at the table of the Lord we his children in turn the more we know of him the more we delight in him Seeking. We'll speak just a little bit of Psalm, of Song of Solomon, sorry, verses one, uh, chapter one, verses two and three. It speaks here of the church's love for Christ. Song of Solomon, chapter one, verses two and three. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. See how the church, the bride of Christ, speaks of her husband. Because, verse 3, of the savor of thy good ointments. Thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. So because he is salvation, we love him. We come to him. Our next point, number two now, is God is sovereign. God is Sovereign, so he's salvation and he is also sovereign. Verse number three of our text. For the Lord is, gr- is a great God 
and a great king above all gods. A great king above all gods. And that word gods in, in, in the scriptures can be also understood in judges or representatives upon earth. He is the ruler of rulers. He is the king of kings. There is no greater, higher authority than this court of Almighty God. We have access to the true sovereign over all heaven and earth. Now imagine if you were ever invited to visit the king. King Charles III writes to you and asks and invites you to come to his table to hear what he has to say to you. He seeks to help you. Would you throw the letter in the bin? Would you forget about it? Would you not care? Probably not. Even if you're not a big fan of the royal family, you would still probably want to go and hear what he had to say. A man in authority. Would we not want to sit down at his table? Even him. Even if you weren't a great fan of his. Would you find a degree or a portion of enjoyment and satisfaction at his table at the food? I'd say you would. Now I say all that with knowing that our king in this nation, he doesn't make all the rules, does he? He has a parliament. He's not all powerful in his own land. The king, however, in verse 3, is different. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. This king is different, all powerful, infinite in power, infinite in greatness. There is no one he has to check with to see if this is okay. Because everything he does is true and right and good. His table is also different. His table is the table of the King of Kings. And he does something different than any other earthly king could do. He offers us himself. His food and drink is himself. In John chapter 6 and verse 32. John chapter 6 and verse number 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Verse 35 of that same chapter. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. Whatever food you receive at the king's table, an earthly king, if it was King Charles III, eventually you would be hungry again. Eventually, three hours later, you would probably want to eat again. That's physical food. But this food is different. This food is eternal life. 
This food is something that does not perish. It is offered by one who is one person, both true God and true man. He offers to believers himself. So when we come as believers in Jesus Christ, with the eye of faith, looking to Jesus and to him alone, we as believers are nourished. We are fed. We are satisfied. Verse 4 of our text, Psalm 95. In his hand are the, great, are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. Look at his power. It shows us his power. Uh, he talks about the Lord as a great God in verse 3. But in his hand are the deep places of the earth. And the strength of hills is his also. The Lord is a spirit, invisible, immortal, eternal. He doesn't have hands. But the scriptures speak to us because we're creatures. We're not infinite like God. And he comes down to us and he speaks in a way that we would understand, in a language that we would understand. And it helps us to see truths about God. What truth is being shown us? Now God does not have a hand, but in his hand are the deep places of the earth. Think about the things you can hold in your hands. A key. Something small. Something that you have power over, or a coin. Now think about the deep things, and perhaps even the unexplored places of the earth. Apparently about 80% of the world's oceans have never been explored. But the Lord has them in his hand. Even these deep places. We cannot get there with our technology, but all these things are under the control of God. It says also in the same verse, the strength of hills is his. The strength of hills, the height of the hills as they go up onto the sky and kiss the clouds. How do we reach the heights? How would we even get up there with great effort? With great exhaustion, it would cost even lives to get up to the top mountains. But this is easy for the Lord. He expends no energy in creating and sustaining these things. These are small, this is a small exercise for the Lord. The sea is his, verse 5. And he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. The power of God. And that is the God we meet with. See, we can forget that Jesus is also true God. That even as a baby in his mother's womb, as true God, he filled both heaven and earth. We struggle to wrap our minds around that, don't we? When he sleeps in the boat during the storm, he is the one in his divine nature, controlling all the elements taking place. 
yet in his human nature, he sleeps. The one who sustains all. And that's never ever changed, never ever will change. This is the God we meet with. This is the power we meet with. We would tremble before kings of this earth with only a fraction of his power. But we have an even greater privilege tomorrow morning as believers in Jesus Christ. So we come to him for food. Number three, we come to him tomorrow morning for God is self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. We need food. We depend on something outside of ourselves. We are creatures. If we don't eat food for long enough, we die. When God appeared in the burning bush, he spoke out of the burning bush. The bush was not consumed. He does not need anything outside of himself. A normal fire will burn as long as there is fuel there. The Lord needs nothing. Self-sufficient. Verse 6 says this, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. That's very important for us to think about that. Our Maker. We come because He is the one who has all that we need. He is the source of all good. All food and drink, everything that we need. No one made God. God does not depend on anything outside of himself. No one sustains God. Another word for saying this word, self-sufficient. The, the, the reformers of old would have said aseity. Aseity, and that word literally means of himself. Of himself. He needs nothing outside of himself. Us creatures, we don't add anything to God. Before the foundation of the world, God was just as happy and blessed, enjoying that sweet fellowship within the Trinity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there was nothing that was lacking in him that we added to that. We struggle with that idea. But we are not sufficient of ourselves. We are not our own makers. This is why you see this, this challenge everywhere to, to remove any idea that God has created heaven and earth. His markings of creation. People are so against God. They've even said, well, there isn't even two genders. Something so obvious from creation. At its core, it's, a, it's against God. At its core, it's to reject him as their maker. God lacks nothing. He has made everything. But look how much we depend upon him. We come to him because he is our maker. Let us think about this for a second. How much does, do all the plants depend upon the sun? How long would they last Without light. If there was just darkness. The plants would die. 
And if you have no plants, what would happen to the animals that eat the plants? They would die. How much do we depend, far more so, upon God? Everything, including you, is made and sustained by him. We are, God is different to us. See, when we don't come to him, we say, I am sufficient. I need nothing. But when we come to him by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, we say, God, you are my maker. I depend upon you. The unchangeable one. The one is eternal, blessed of himself. Where do we go for blessing? Where do we go for food? Where do we go for comfort and joy and warmth? Home. If you're ever away from home for long enough, I'm sure you long to go back to your old place where you haven't been to your parents' house for quite a while and you can't wait to open the door and feel the warmth of the fire that's been burning in your house. You can't wait to smell the food that your mother's been cooking or something like that. Because it's home. It's home. A place where you'll find warmth and hugs and all these things. There's something far greater in heaven. Our eternal home. Eternal warmth. Eternal glory. And we get to taste it tomorrow morning. We get to taste and see that the Lord is good. Who trusts in him is blessed. It's not just something. Yes we remember the Lord's death till he comes. But it's even more than that. Verse 7. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. We must see our need. And his sufficiency. Or we will go somewhere else. If we don't go to God. We will go somewhere else. We will form God's small g with our mind. And we will bow down and serve them. We've been made to worship. Either we will worship God and see him as enough. Or we will go somewhere else. And seek to find satisfaction in other places. And friends, we cannot. We cannot. Our final point, number four. God is shepherd. God is shepherd. So we've looked at his salvation. He is our rock. He is our foundation. Our sure footing. He is sovereign. There's no greater king than him. Self-sufficient. He needs nothing. All Sufficient in and of himself. And then there's this wonderful picture given to us in scripture. Of God is shepherd. Verse number 7 and verse number 8. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. And the sheep of his hand. Today if you will hear his voice. How long can sheep last? Without a shepherd. How long. Could they. Find food. For themselves. 
Not very long. They will be scattered. They will be weak. Are you one of the sheep of this shepherd? John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse 16. John chapter 10 and verse number 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now, when we hear the word hear in Scripture, it's not just that we hear with our ears. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, there's what's called the Shema, or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And it's not just hearing of the ear that's been spoken about there. It's about hearing and following. You could also say obey, O Israel. To hear in Hebrew was very much to obey. And to not hear was to not obey. This is not just hearing with our ears. And so it is with a, with a sheep A sheep who hears the voice of the shepherd. They will not stay where they are. They will leave where they are. And they will go to be closer to the presence of their shepherd. It is a comforting voice. Because it is the voice of their protection. It is a a voice of nurture. Because it is where food is to be found. Sometimes you see it in, in the fields. The shepherd comes out into the field and the sheep start running after the shepherd. This is how sheep respond to the voice of the shepherd. You see excitement. And that's the thing we should see with our own lives. Yeah, yeah, we fall short. We do. But we should see excitement because of who he is. We also see then who we are. And this is why we do struggle. This is why it says, let us make a joyful noise. This is excitement. This is far more important than anything else you will do. Verse 7 once again, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. Sheep follow. And there's also another animal that's sometimes used to illustrate the difference between sheep and then there's goats. Sheep follow. Goats are stubborn. They go their own way. How do you know if you follow the voice of the shepherd? Obey. And not just in an outward showy way. Sometimes when we think about obeying the law of God, we think of it in a pharisaical, outward, look at me kind of thing. That's not obeying God. That is not obeying God. The obedience of, to God's law starts in the heart. Head, heart, and hands, the Puritans would write about. It's not just your head. You must know things, of course. We must fill our minds with good things. 
But we must also love these things. If our affections haven't been turned towards these things of God, we won't follow them. Why would we? And then it's not just enough to say, well, it doesn't matter how I live. No, these things have to affect, and they will affect, how we live, our hands as well. What's the voice of the shepherd? Scripture. The voice of the king. The more sure word of prophecy. And is it any wonder in an era which we undervalue and undermine the word of God that we have such chaos and confusion in our churches today? If we lose confidence in this, then all manner of wickedness will follow. We must have confidence in what the scriptures tell us. God has inspired it, given it by inspiration of God, but not only that, we have it today, kept pure in all ages. This is the voice of Almighty God. And it says, Harden not your heart as in the provocation. And is the day of temptation in the wilderness. Verse 8. The wilderness and their time in the desert. This is when they've been delivered from Egypt. Delivered from cruel bondage. And you think. After all the blessings. They have been delivered from Pharaoh's army. Brought through the Red Sea. That Red Sea then is brought upon their enemies. They didn't sing in victory in Exodus chapter 15. And yet so quickly, the people of God forget the victories that God has brought for his people. Harden not your heart. Harden not your heart as in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. What happened? When they were there, They started to think Egypt was far better. They started to complain. Oh, the food was so far much better. They wanted to go back to the house of bondage. They complained at the leaders God gave and complained at the instructions that were given from God. When your fathers, verse 9, tempted me and proved me or tested me, they tried me and saw my work. What happened? Forty years long, verse 10, was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart. They have not known my ways. What happened? Verse 11, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. They didn't enter into the promised land. A whole generation. Do you appreciate the food set before you by the Lord? By this shepherd. Do you love his food? And to love his food is to love Jesus. He sets it before us. He shows us See, we have the audible word, which we love in our ears. But we're going to see the visible word tomorrow morning. 
the bread and the cup of wine. But to reject him is unbelief. What was the problem of those in the wilderness? Unbelief. And they didn't enter into Canaan because of unbelief. Unbelief keeps people out of heavenly Canaan. And unbelief keeps people from the blessings of the Lord's table. We are to come, but we're to come by faith. Do you love the gospel? Or are you still in unbelief? Tomorrow, the Lord's table, we're to come with joy. All believers in Jesus Christ, you may and you will have times of doubt, times and seasons of of darkness and wondering, times when you feel afflicted and wondering, is God far away from me? You will have these seasons But yet you have no confidence in the flesh. Jesus is your only hope. He is the rock of my salvation, you say in your heart. Come and meet with him tomorrow morning. Come with joy. Yes, we face many trials in the world. But as we come to him, he gives us this food and drink for a reason. To encourage us. To help us along our journey. If you are on a journey and traveling a great distance, you need food, you need drink to continue that journey. You can't do it in your own strength without food and without drink. The Lord Jesus Christ is the beginning, the middle, and the end of salvation. If he has saved you by faith alone, he will bring you home. He will bring you into his presence. He will never let you go. That's a wonderful thing. And as a believer, come that you may have greater tastes of heaven. By faith alone. But only, dear friends, come by faith alone. Don't come in your own works. Don't come with any confidence in yourself. Come only with a joy and a confidence And what God has done for you, a poor and needy sinner. Amen.